Welcome to Feeding His Sheep Podcast, brought to you by A.T. Stewart Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. Today is Friday, so we're having Flashback Fridays, where I reach back into the archives of sermons that I preached some 20 years ago, and we seek to see what God would say to us in His Word. So take your Bible, and let's listen to God's Word together. Your Bible to make your way to 1 John chapter 4. Today we're continuing our series on the 11 tests of saving faith. 11 tests of saving faith. The Bible commands us to test ourselves to see if we are indeed Christians. This means that everyone who claims to be a Christian really is. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, the Bible commands us, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail the test? And so Paul says we must examine ourselves, we must look to see, if we pass the test of being a true believer. And I have put together, I believe, from 1 John, 11 tests of saving faith. The Spirit of Christ dwells within you, and that Spirit makes changes. And those changes should become evident in your life as a Christian. And I've listed those tests that we've covered so far in the bulletin for you. We'll not go over those again today. But they're there for you, and we have come to test number nine today. And that test is the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. There are two aspects to this test. First, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then secondly, the work of that Holy Spirit who is within you. And our text today is taken from 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. And in respect for the Word of God, let me ask you to stand as I read. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. You may be seated. Now, as we begin, we must first answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Since the test involves the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in you, we need to make sure we understand who the Holy Spirit is. Now, the Holy Spirit goes by several names. He is referred to in Acts chapter 16 as the Spirit of Jesus in Acts 16. The passage deals with Paul and Timothy and Silas as they were going on a missionary journey. And we read, they passed through Thygrian and Galatian region. And having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. So you see, in this passage we have the Holy Spirit referred to as the Holy Spirit, and also as the Spirit of Jesus. In another passage over in Romans 8, 
the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of God and as the Spirit of Christ. Romans 8, 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. There he's called the Spirit of God, and he's called the Spirit of Christ. And again, in Romans 8, verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is co-equal co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son. You see, Jesus Christ is in heaven in His glorified body. It is His Spirit that is here with us on earth. You remember Jesus said it was necessary that He be crucified, resurrected, and glorified, that He go away in order that another one like Him would come and dwell among us. Jesus, in His glorified body, has certain limitations of space where He will be. But the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He can be all places at once. And so the Holy Spirit is God. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit. Now, the first thing we must understand is the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. The Holy Spirit indwells a believer. Again, in our focal verse for this morning, he says, By this we know that we abide in Him. How do we know that we're Christians? How do we know that we are abiding in Christ and He in us? And he says, because He's given us of His Spirit. A Christian has the Holy Spirit living in him. That's how you know you are a Christian. Now, when does the Holy Spirit come to live within the Christian? He comes at the moment of your new birth. When you got saved, He came to live within you. We see this again in the verse we've already seen, Romans 8, 9. He says, however, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... He does not belong to Him. Now look at those words. If you do not have the Spirit of Christ, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, then you don't belong to God. That is the definition of a Christian. That's the definition of a child of God, one who has the Holy Spirit. You remember John says over in 1 John, He that has the Son has life, meaning eternal life. Well, how do you have the Son today? You have the Son if you have the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus living within you. You have Him, and that shows that you have eternal life. You see, it is the Holy Spirit that brings about the new birth. As Paul said, when we were dead in our trespasses... He made us alive together with Christ. 
For by grace are you saved. It's the Holy Spirit that comes into our life and brings about the new birth. We're born of the Spirit. You remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? Unless one is born of the Spirit, he shall not enter the kingdom of God. It is the Holy Spirit who comes and brings about that new birth in our life as He comes to dwell within us, and we are children of God. And so the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us as Christians. So that's the first test. Do you have the Holy Spirit indwelling your life? You might say, well, preacher, um, I think so. (laughs) I hope so. Uh, But how can I know? That brings us to the work of the Holy Spirit. The presence and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is an indication In fact, it's proved positive that you're a Christian. Because when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you, He comes to do things. He doesn't just sit around idle. He comes in your life to perform a work in your life. And the Scripture gives us clearly what that work is. And so let's look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And if you see this work going on in your life, hey, that's evidence you have the Holy Spirit in you. And if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you're a Christian. Okay, you see how it works? All right, let's look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. First, He comes to bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, the Bible says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses is a truth confirmed. Here, Paul is talking about the co-witness of you, your spirit, and the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are indeed a child of God. Now, this is hard to explain. How do you explain that witness of the Spirit with your witness? And I'm going to try, but let me tell you, it's, it's beyond words. But when it happens, you know it's happened. It's the difference between knowing that God loves the world and knowing that God loves you. It's the difference between believing Jesus came and died for sins than believing Jesus came and died for your sins. It's the difference between believing that Jesus indwells a believer and knowing that He indwells you. It's something that's intangible, but you know it when it happens. All of a sudden, you realize, God loves me. Jesus died for me. You can't say how you know it. You can't explain how you know that. But you know it. There is that deep assurance, that deep conviction that the Spirit of God gives your spirit that you bear witness together that Jesus died for me. He loves me. He knows me. I can't explain to you how I know it. I just know it. Truth 
has spoken to your innermost being. And you know that has happened. You know if you're the only person living on this planet that Jesus still would have died for you. That's that witness, that testimony of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. It's the difference between knowing in your mind that God exists and really knowing in your innermost being that there truly is a God. It takes it from the head and puts it down into the heart to our innermost being. So that's the first work of the Spirit, to bear witness. The second work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is He seals us unto salvation. We see this in Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul says, In Him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who's given us a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit seals us unto salvation. In the New Testament times, there were four main functions of the seal. All right? First function of the seal was ownership. Now, we see, see that in the Wild West, right? The brand that's put on a cow to show that cow belongs to this rancher. That was his seal. In the New Testament, someone would show their ownership by placing their seal. When the Holy Spirit seals you, He's letting the devil and all his demons know that you belong to God. And you're off limits. He cannot have you. You are the Lord's. A second function of the seal was to show a finished transaction. When a business deal was completed, the seal would be placed there. We see that today. If you've signed legal documents, if you have signed a legal deed, it asks for your seal, which can be your signature, or it might be a stamp that you have. The transaction is completed. It's finished. When the Holy Spirit seals you, He's saying that the transaction of your salvation is complete. You don't add anything to it. You cannot add anything to it. Christ has done everything. It is complete. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, He meant the price was paid in full. Nothing could be added for your salvation. It was complete. The wrath of holy God over your sins was totally satisfied in the death of Jesus. It's finished. And then there is security. The seal was used to secure something. You remember when Jesus was placed in the tomb and they rolled the stone over and the religious leader says, to the uh, to Herod, go put to Pilate, go put your seal on it, so no one will open it. Because when the seal of the ruler was placed on a treasure or on something else, it was saying, "Buddy, this belongs to him, and if you fool with it, you incur his full wrath and the wrath of all the authorities he has under him." Well, when God places the seal of the Holy Spirit on you, He's showing that your salvation is secure. <laughs> You can't do anything to lose it. The devil can't take it away from you. Nobody can. It is secure in the Holy Spirit. And then the fourth thing is authenticity. Again, the seal showed, hey, this is the king's. 
The king would pour some wax on his letter when he sealed it, and he would put his, his ring in it, which would be his seal. And when somebody saw it, they said, this is really the king's. Only the king has that seal. It's authentic. When you have the seal of the Holy Spirit, you are authentically His. Your salvation is authentic. It is real. It is true. So the second work of the Holy Spirit is to seal you. The third work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin. John says in verse 8 of chapter 16, And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, the Holy Spirit's job is to convict you of sin in your life. Now, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is not some nebulous feeling of of overriding guilt. I just feel, I don't know, I just feel guilty today. I don't know what it's about, but I just have this sense of, of guilt and foreboding. No, that's not from the Holy Spirit. That's from the enemy. All right? Or from your own hyperactive conscience. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, He makes it clear what He's convicting you about. And what I've found in my own experience, when the Holy Spirit convicts me, there's no rationalizing it away. I just know truth has been spoken in my spirit, and that is a sin. And so if you can be involved in what the Bible clearly says is a sin, and you do not experience that clear, definite, strong conviction of the Holy Spirit, then you do not have any reason to believe that you're a Christian. But if you, when you are in sin, you sense that definite, clear conviction of the Holy Spirit, this is wrong, this is a sin, then that's a good indication that the Spirit of God indwells you. The fourth thing He does is He empowers us for service. Jesus told His disciples in Acts chapter 1, But you will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit empowers us in our Christian service. He enables us to serve God. God never asked us to serve Him in our own power. He never said, okay, now I'll save you. Go out and live it the best way you can. No, He never said that. Jesus said, let me live my life through you, through my Spirit. Let me empower you and enable you to live the Christian life. Let me empower you to overcome sin. Let me empower you to live victoriously. Clear examples in the life of Peter. You remember Peter when, when that maid servant said, you, you belong to Jesus' group, don't you? And there, Peter, in in the face of this little girl, denies Christ. But then when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he stood up before the masses and he proclaimed boldly, Jesus, the Christ, as Lord of all. Now, the way you explain that difference is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He was not in Peter when he denied Christ, but he empowered Peter and he filled Peter when he proclaimed boldly. And you see that throughout the book of Acts. As you'll look through it, you'll see it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were empowered to, to witness, to share. And so He empowers you. If you have seen times in your life when perhaps you knew you needed to share Christ with somebody, but you just were torn up about it, and you just, man, were afraid and scared and, and just didn't know, but you said, God, I'm going to trust you. 
I'm going to trust your spirit in me. You have not given me the spirit of timidity and weakness, but of power and a boldness and a sound mind. And I'm going to trust you to give me the boldness I need. And you walk up, and all of a sudden, you get this holy boldness you never had before, and you begin to share Christ. You've seen that happen, haven't you? That's the Holy Spirit doing that. That's an evidence He's at work in your life, empowering you. The Holy Spirit also comforts the Christian. He comforts the Christian. We uh, see over in Second Corinthians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, that kind of sounds like a lot of words just to say, look, when you're in a problem, God comforts you so that you can comfort other people when they go through that same thing. God is the God of all comfort. Now, you've been through situations, and you look back on it, and you think, how did I ever get through that? And then you realize, I had the comfort of God. I had the comfort of His Holy Spirit. That's what enabled me to go through that. That's what is enabling me now to go each day, one day after the next. It's the comfort of God's Spirit. There's no comfort like the comfort of God's Spirit because He's the only one that really knows what you're going through. As much as you try to explain it to people and they can get a glimpse of it, nobody really knows except you and God what you're really going through, what you're really experiencing, what you're really feeling. And so therefore, He can be the God of all comfort. So ask yourself, have I seen the comfort of God in my life? Have I sensed that presence of God that has just given me a peace even in the midst of tremendous hardship and toil and, and agony and, and pain? Have I had that peace that passes understanding? You can't explain it. Because it's peace, the comfort of God. And then the sixth thing the Holy Spirit does, He will teach the Christian spiritual truth. John 14 says, But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things, and He will bring your Remembrance all, to your remembrance, all that I said to you. It's the Holy Spirit that teaches us. You remember what the Bible was like before you became a Christian? Oh, it was a book, all right, but it wasn't a book you really understood. It might have been like a good luck charm, you know, like a rabbit's foot. You might have tried to read it, but, you know, it just didn't make sense. But when you became a Christian, it became a different book you began suddenly to understand things that you'd never understood before. You had insights that you'd never had before. What was happening? Did you suddenly get more intelligent? No. <laughs> it was the Holy Spirit that began to teach you the truth of God. In fact, the Bible says to the non-Christian, the things of God are foolishness, and he cannot understand them. So if you have any understanding of the spiritual things of God, it's because the Holy Spirit's given it to you. He says, who knows the mind of God but the Spirit of God? And he says that Spirit of God teaches us, instructs us in the things of God. Have you been reading the Scriptures and, and as you're reading maybe a passage you've read many times before, but this one time... 
it all of a sudden jumps out of the page and gets a hold of you. And God speaks to you. And you know God has spoken. Again, you cannot give anybody a rational understanding of that truth, but you know it. God has come from heaven into His Word, and He has spoken that Word to you. That's the Holy Spirit speaking the truth of God into your life. And if you've experienced that, it's a good indication that the Spirit of God is living within you. And then number seven, the Holy Spirit guides the Christian. Galatians 5.18 says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Led by the Spirit. That means He leads us. That means He guides us. He gives us direction. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals to us the will of God for our life, for different situations. You say, well, preacher, how does He do that? Well, He does it various ways. You remember we saw in, in Acts that, that as Paul was trying to go into these regions, the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them go in. It doesn't tell us how He stopped them. Because that's not really the important thing. The important thing is that He did prevent them from going. That He does lead us. He does guide us. And I couldn't give you all the ways God leads and guides. Because His ways are not limited. But I can tell you the instruments that He uses to guide. He uses primarily His Word. As He shows us truth in His Word that bears on our life situation that we're seeking His guidance about. He also leads us through the authorities He's placed in our lives. God desires that we seek those in authority over us and seek their counsel and seek their wisdom. Many times God leads through those. Also, it is that intangible thing known as the peace of God. The peace of God. A man named George Mueller, who was used of God to, to support hundreds of, of orphans uh, back in England in the early 1900s, uh, simply by faith, he used to say when he sought God's will, he would, he would seek God through the Scriptures and make sure that nothing that he had sought to do for the Lord was contrary to the Scripture. He would look at the circumstances in which he found himself in, and then if nothing was contrary in these two, he would ask the Lord to show him if indeed this was right. And he said after praying three times, if he had God's peace, he would move forward. The Bible talks about the peace of God umpiring in our hearts. But be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication make your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard, and that word means umpire, your hearts in Christ Jesus. So, not in itself, because you can give yourself a false peace, but along with the Word of God, with the counsel of wise spiritual authorities, God's peace can be an instrument the Holy Spirit uses to direct you. But He guides us. He also bears fruit in the life of the Christian. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
The Spirit of God bears fruit, His fruit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience in our lives. He is the heavenly sap of the vine, the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the vine. You are the branches. All right, the sap that brings the life of the vine to the branch is the Holy Spirit. He's the heavenly sap. And it is the Holy Spirit that produces in us the patience as we look to Him. The kindness. The goodness. The gentleness. The love. We can't produce that. We just abide in the vine and the Holy Spirit brings it about as we look to Him. So, if you see the Holy Spirit's grace and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and long-suffering, and love and joy in your life, it's a good indication He is in there and you're a Christian. He bears His fruit. And then, lastly, He gives us gifts. His gifts. They're called spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians twelve eleven. But one in the same Spirit works all things distributed to each one individually, just as He wills. It's the Holy Spirit who gives every Christian at least one spiritual gift. Now, if you have a spiritual gift, it's a good indication you have the Holy Spirit because He gives it to Christians. Whether it be the gift of teaching, the gift of service, the gift of helps, the gift of administration, the gift of mercy, whatever it might be. You need to look at the Scriptures, see if you have a spiritual gift. If you do, it's an indication you are a Christian. So as we come to the conclusion, we need to ask ourselves, do I see the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in my life? The longer you have been a Christian, the more you will see His work in your life. But you should see some evidence of His work from the very beginning. Whether it's your hatred for sin that you didn't used to have before you became a Christian. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you that hatred for sin, that conviction of sin. So ask yourself, do you see this work of the Holy Spirit in your life? His bearing witness, His sealing you unto salvation, His convicting you of sin, His empowering you for service, His comforting you, teaching you, guiding you, bearing His fruit in your life, giving you spiritual gifts. If you see His work in your life, it's a good indication that indeed you are born again. If you do not see His work in your life, indicating His presence in your life, then you should be very, very concerned about your spiritual condition because the evidence says you do not know Jesus in a saving way. Have you come to Christ? If not, I want to encourage you to come to the Lord Jesus today. Be willing to turn away from anything in your life that's not pleasing to Him. That's repentance. That doesn't say you have to turn away. You cannot in your own strength. But be willing. He'll give you the strength to do so once you come to Him. But say, Jesus, I'm willing to turn away from anything that's not pleasing to You in my life. I'm willing to surrender all to You as my Lord, my King. And I'm placing my complete trust in You as the one who died for my sins and was resurrected for my justification. 
And I know I cannot add anything to what you've done. I'm just going to place my trust totally, completely in you. The Bible says if you do that, it's an indication you have been born again into God's kingdom. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you haven't come to Christ, would you come today? Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our Internet. And I want you just to know that everybody in the church is not like me. I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. This is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our minister of community connections. And to my left is Mark Baker who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcomed at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications on ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.